Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Rambam, Hilchis Matnes Aniyim, the laws containing the many mitzvahs dealing with gifts to the poor, agricultural gifts to the poor, general gifts to the poor. Pedic Sheni, Chapter 2. And I, mu- I would like to point out that much of these laws are taken from the Mishnah, Tractate Peya, which deals with this whole category of laws. <clears throat> and then, like always, it is the Rambam's job, so to speak, to collect from the Mishnah the practical halacha, leave out all the differing opinions, and translate it into practicality. So actually, much of the language here is language taken directly from the Mishnah. Kol Eichel, the Rambam goes on to say, defining the mitzvah of peyah, which means corners. And we talked earlier about the fact that when somebody goes to harvest his field, he leaves standing grain in the corner of his field. Peya means corner for the poor people to come and harvest. Now that Ambam begins chapter 2 with, where does the obligation kick in, and where does it not? So, kol oichal, any food, shegidulav minaretz, if it grows from the earth, which means rule number one, in order to be part of the mitzvah, the obligation of the mitzvah of peya, it has to grow from the ground. Rule number two, v'nishmar, it has to be guarded. It has to be private property. It can't be in a public domain, because that's not nishmar. Why should I have to allow, allow the poor to come in if it's not mine to begin with? The poor can come in along with me. Three is, ulekitose Kule ka'achas, that the crop is gathered all at once. It's not a crop which ripens and matures slowly. One day this, and one day this, but it happens all of a sudden. It happens all at once. He's going to bring down later that one of the foods which mature one day this, and one day this, are figs. Figs are very picky, so figs don't have the obligation of peya because they don't mature as a crop. The next thing is, umachnisin and they are customarily brought into storehouses, and they are stored for the future. It's not like you pick a cucumber and you eat it today for a salad, but this is stuff that is stored away. So these are the conditions. It has to be food that grows from the ground, guarded, not open to the public, harvested all at once, and stored. These are the conditions which kick in the mitzvah of Chaya Bepeya is obligated to take Peya. Shenemar, as the verse says, all those who are either Torah readers or who remember 
know that this is one of the closing verses <coughs> of the holiday Torah reading. When you harvest the harvest of your land, don't consume the corners. So it has to be the harvest of the harvest of your land as all these conditions are deduced and derived. Now that Ambam is going to go elaborate, base to kol hadayim elokotzer b'chamesh drachem elu, anything that resembles a crop that's harvested in these five ways, meaning the five conditions prestated, hu that's the kind of crop where the obligation of leaving corners for the poor kicks in. Again, and here he gives a list of the kind of crops which would meet the requirements. For example, hatfua, any grains. Vihakitnius, any beans, legumes. Vehecherubim, carobs. Vihoegozin, vihashkedim, nuts, almonds. Vihorimenim, pomegranates, vihanovim, grapes. Vahazesim, olives, vahatmorim, and dates. Bengivashim, beirakim, whether dry or moist or soft. The chol elu, any of the above type of fruits, fall into the category of peya, because they meet the requirements enumerated above. Avol, but, and here the Rambam brings down some examples of those which don't. Isotis upua, he translates it here as indigo and rubia, or kayetzebahem peturim, they're exempt, because they don't meet the first condition. What's the first condition? Because they're not food. And so also, there's an example of something that doesn't meet the second condition. This is a famous example in halacha, such as truffles and mushrooms, where they don't grow from the ground. They're exempt. Because they're not connected to the soil. They grow topically. They grow from the air. The bracha for mushrooms traditionally is not bore priyadoma. It's shahakol nirbidvari, because a mushroom is not an earth product. And so also, anything grown in a public domain, it's not a private farm. Potter, it's exempt. Because nobody's guarding it. Because anybody can come there, and just because you own it, but if it's open to everybody, then you have no obligation to leave something to the poor. The whole thing is open to the poor. The chain, for example, the crop called figs, are exempt from peyah. Because they're not gathered and harvested at one time. This particular tree has figs that are going to become ripe today. And then there's a fig that will only become ripe in a few days. So also vegetables. Why are vegetables exempt? Because as a rule, vegetables are not stored. Because you don't put vegetables away for later. 
Whereas certain types of vegetables you do, such as hashumim, babatzolim, garlic, and onions, chayavim bepeya, are obligated with peya, leaving the corners for the poor. Why? Because they do store them. Because they are dried. And they keep them in perpetuity. They keep them for a long time. And so also, what he refers to here as the mothers of onions, seed onions, where they're placed in the ground, where they produce seed, they are also obligated because they're stored. So here we have examples of those items that kick in because of these rules and ground rules. Gimel, now the question is, is there a minimum plot of earth, size-wise, that one would have to deal with in order for the obligation of payah to kick in? So he says, no, karka kol shahu, land of any size, which is being harvested, chayeves, payah is obligated with the mitzvah of payah. Furthermore, even if it wasn't owned by one owner, it was owned by partners. Makes no difference. Shenemar, as it says, the harvest of your land, plural. The land could belong to more than one person. Okay, now the plot thickens. What if there was a field that belonged to a Jew but some non-Jews came in and they harvested it because they're stronger and they kept it for themselves. Or pirates, bandits, thieves went and harvested it. Why? Because. So the farmer never got to harvest it. Or it was devastated and destroyed by ants. Ants are tiny, but they can wreak havoc to a field. Or it was destroyed by hurricane winds. A behemoth or a VC, a vildechaya, a wild animal came in and destroyed it. All of the above scenarios have a common denominator, and that is the farmer never got to enjoy his crop. Then, obviously, this is exempt from the obligation to give the corner to the poor because the farmer never got to enjoy the grain. Because the obligation of peya is when your grain or your produce is standing and you're harvesting it and you take for yourself, you should leave for the poor. But here, it's not standing. It was destroyed by gale, hurricane winds, or by ants, or it was taken by other people. In all of these cases, there's no technical possibility for the obligation to kick in. Okay, now, moving right along in this way, in this approach of logic. What if he only cut? What if he only harvested half his field? And then bad guys came, robbers came, and they cut the second half. They harvested the second half. 
Shenisha, whatever was left, this is exempt from Peya. Why? Because Peya is usually taken from the second half, from that which is left in the corner. Here, the guy only took the first half. Because I can argue and say that the Peya obligation, the obligation to leave the corner for the poor, is in the second half. Aval, however, if the bad guys harvested the first half, and then he went, and he harvested the second half, then he has to give peya according to the amount of that which he harvested. He does not have to give the amount for the robbers as well. And by the way, we learned in chapter 1, that by biblical law, as the tractate of Peya begins, Elu Dvarim There's a list of things that have no minimum amount, no set amount. Peya is one of them. How much Peya should you give? Whatever you want. But rabbinically, you have to give one sixtieth. So therefore, he has to give one sixtieth of what he harvested. What if he harvested half? And he sold half. Now this is tricky. The buyer now must give peya for the whole field. Because the buyer knew, presumably, that he was buying the crop of the second half where Peya was not taken. So the buyer is in the position where he has to give Peya for the whole field. Now, what if he harvested half the field, and then as we learned extensively in the earlier laws of Eirechen Vacharomim, he sanctified, he consecrated half to the Holy Temple. So now... The second half from which Peah should be taken doesn't even belong to him. It belongs to the Holy Temple. Now, the idea of consecrating a field to the Holy Temple is so that somebody should redeem it. Because the operating account of the Holy Temple, they don't need fields, they need money. Hapede, Miyada Gizber, the one who redeems it from the treasurer, Nason Peya Lakel knows that as he redeems it, he still has the obligation to give Peya, to give that one sixtieth. What if he harvested half and then consecrated it? He has to give from the rest. Peya for the whole field, because consecrating standing grain is not an answer for escaping the obligation of Peya. <coughs> well, there are ways to escape Peya, and that is if you don't harvest it for yourself to put away. For example, a vineyard where he was taking grapes in order to sell it. Somebody came to him and said, I want to buy a few clusters of grapes. So he takes off a couple of clusters of grapes. 
And when he takes a couple of clusters here and there, he is intending that the bulk of the field he's going to use for his wine press. He's just going to do a little sale on the side, a little sales on the side. If he was taking a little from here and a little from there to sell it to customers, <coughs> then that is very haphazard. That doesn't count. There's no reason Peya should kick in there. Then the only Peya he has to give is of the balance of his leftover vineyard for that which he's going to use for his wine press. But that which he took a couple of clusters here and there, from there and here, that doesn't count. However, if he was harvesting the, vi- the vine, the vineyard, in a very organized way, as farmers do when they sell, if he was harvesting for the market, from one side in an organized, thought-out way, then this is done with a plan. It's not haphazard. Then he has to give paya from the balance for what was appropriate for the entire vineyard, because that which he sold was not haphazard. It was thought out and intended. Because when he harvested it, he harvested neatly from one side. It's not like he's haphazardly harvesting. A little here, a little there. Shupata, where he would be exempt. And so also, if somebody snaps, cuts a few grains here and a few grains there, and even brings it into his house, but he's not doing a harvesting process. He's just haphazardly cutting a few grains here and there. I feel cut up, even if in the end of the day, his entire field was harvested haphazardly, a little here, a little there. Technically, he escaped all the obligations of these gifts to the poor because he had no harvest. Potter, he's exempt in a leket from the mitzvah of leket, which is the poor gathering the gleanings, umina shikha, the farmer forgetting sheaves, uminapeya, and the corners, he found a way to escape the technical obligation, and that is by, in a haphazard way, taking a few stalks of grain here, a few stalks of grain here, and there's no formal harvesting process. Now he says in Zion 7, HaKetzer kol sodehu, what if someone harvested his entire field, kedem shetugmar, before it's ripe, he harvested a not ripe field. It's not even a third ripe. Some people like the harvest not so ripe, but here, not even a third ripe, is no one likes that. Because it's not ripe yet, then he's exempt from payah. But if it reached a third, there, that's minimum sufficient for him to be obligated. And the same goes with fruit of the trees. The litmus test is, is it more than a third done? It's obligated. If he consecrates his field to Hegdish, to the Holy Temple, and it's an estate 
where it's standing grain. Clearly, he has to give hagizbar. What if the treasurer harvests it? And then the same guy redeems it. Tura, he is, the redeemer is exempt. Because at the time that the obligation of Peya kicked in, the Hegdish treasurer had that obligation, and he doesn't have an obligation. Because the, the Hegdish, the Holy Temple itself, is a charity. It's not obligated to give. So that's one way to escape it, is by having the corn, the grains, standing at maturity, consecrating it, the Hegdish treasurer harvests it, and then he redeems it after the harvest. There's no obligation for payah. Here's an interesting situation. There's a non-Jew who harvests his field. And then this non-Jew went through the conversion. He converted, became a Jew. Mazel tov. Now the question is, is he obligated to give these gifts? Well, the problem is he already harvested his field. He is exempt from peyah, and from leket. Here the Rambam combines two parts of the Mishnah. And he says he's exempt even from the forgotten sheaves, even though he hasn't gotten to the part of the forgotten sheaves yet. He's still getting to it, but still it kicks in at the same time. So the convert is exempt. Because his field matured and he harvested before his conversion. Now he says in general, in Yudin 10, It's not a good idea to hire non-Jewish workers to harvest the field of a Jew. Why? Because there's too much Jewish law involved. Because you need to be a yeshiva bocher. You need to have an education. You need to know halacha. Because they don't know the laws of leket. Of what it, when you drop something, are you allowed to pick it up? Are you not allowed to pick it up? Or the corners of the field. However, what if he did? And they harvested the field. It doesn't exempt the field from being obligated. Of course he's obligated to give payah. It's just that in, when you harvest a field, you've got to know what you're doing. So I guess if you're going to have non-Jewish workers, you have to have good supervision with knowledgeable people. He brings down here that the non-Jewish workers who don't know what they're doing, they're either going to give less than the required amount to the poor, and the poor will be disadvantaged, or they'll give more than the required amount to the poor, and the farmer will be disadvantaged. Either way, there is a set policy as to what has to be done, and therefore the farm workers need to know what they're doing. Eleven, we touched upon this in chapter 1. What if the farmer harvested his entire field, and didn't leave a corner. There's no problem. He now gives from the stalks of grain some peya to the poor people. Now, there is another mitzvah that kicks in. 
at a little bit of a later time, and that is, and we will learn about this, the mitzvahs of trumas and masros, of gifts to the Kohen and gifts to the Levi. But that mitzvah kicks in later in the process. Peah kicks in when the produce is standing and you're going to harvest it. Trumas in Maestras kicks in well after the harvest where there's the winnowing process and it's already in the granary and so on and so forth, as we will learn. So here, he forgot to give peyo. He has to give of the stalks to the poor. Now the question is, now that the stalks are already there and it's already harvested and it's later in the process, does he have to give the tithing? The tithe, he does not have to give the tithe. <coughs> what if he turned around and gave the poor most of the harvest? There, he does not have to give miser. So also, and we're going to learn these details in particular, if he went through the threshing process, but he did not yet go through the winnowing process. The winnowing process is that process which kicks in the miser. Then he can give them the payah before he tithes. Remember, we learned that if somebody neglected to give payah from the produce, he gives it later. However, if he threshed and winnowed the grain with a pitchfork and a shovel and completed the task, which means he's done, gone full cycle, then Master, he has to give the tithe. And then he can give the poor from the tithed produce, <coughs> the right amount of payah for that field. The same goes for trees. Now, where do you leave the payah? What part of the field? So he says here in Yud Beis, The peah, which means corner, should ideally be left at the end of the field. So it's actually uniform and predictable. The poor will know the place where it's going to be. In order that it should be recognized, recognized by those who pass by and come and go. They should not suspect the farmer that he's getting away with it. Because of the farmers who were cheaters and thieves and con men. Because the farmer could sometimes intend to harvest the entire field. And if people see him, he can tell them, that I am harvesting the end of my field. What about the peyah? I left the peyah in the beginning of the field. Therefore, our sages instituted that peyah should be uniformly left at the end of the field. And furthermore, <clears throat> that the farmer should not keep an eye on a time when there's no people around. He's going to find a time when there's no poor. And he's going to leave it. He's going to give it to his brother-in-law, the poor man. He's going to say, go get it now. 
Now remember, we learned that peya is not one of those gifts that you can choose your recipient. Peya is open to all recipients. What if he didn't listen? And he left some peya in the beginning of the field. He left some peya in the middle of the field. It's perfectly okay. It's still considered peya. Because this is only a rabbinic ordinance. He still has to leave at the end of the field enough for that which is left in the field after he gave the first amount, which means that there will always be something left at the end of the field. <coughs> the farmer, the owner, who gave the corner crops to a poor man, to poor people. And they said to him, Give us from this end. He gave them from the other end. This end looks a little too good. He gave them from the other end. They're both peya. The one he wants to give them from and the one they want to take from. So also the farmer who set aside peya. And he said, This is peya begamzu and this is as well. They're both peya. Now the question is, what's the technical process of peya? He says, The workers may not harvest the entire field. They're obligated to leave the safe hasada. At the end of the field, kashir hapeya, the volume of peya. Now, on the other hand, the poor cannot attack this food until they saw the farmer actually designated it as peya. Therefore, a poor man sees the corner of the field at the end of the field. He's not allowed to take it because if he does, he's stealing until he certainly knows that the farmer is cognizant, is aware that this is peya. Peya from grains and beans and other similar species of crops which are harvested, the peya of a vineyard, and trees, are given while they're still connected to the ground, which means ideally the mitzvah is that the poor should be left something for them to harvest. The corner. And the poor man, the poor people have a right to go in there and just attack it with their hands. Our sages instituted that they should not go in there with sickles. They should not go in there with hatches and axes. Why? Because they shouldn't kill each other. You're killing me, Larry. Because this guy has a sickle, this guy has a hatchet, and he's going after the cluster of grapes, he can kill the other guy. You have 911 there every day. In order that one should not hit the other. What if the poor people, they have a committee, and they elect the president of their committee. 
And they say, you know what? Instead of everybody killing each other and jumping all over the place, let's appoint people who know what they're doing. They'll harvest whatever's left. And we'll divide it, uh, as they say in Yiddish, equal pasqual. That's a good idea. As long as there is consensus. However, even if 99 out of 100 poor people say yes, let's appoint a committee and let's divide it. And the other one says, to heck with you. I'm going in there. I'm attacking. He gets his right. Because this is the rule. The fact that there's a committee, you need 100% consensus. 99% is not sufficient. So this one guy can jump in and you have everybody jumping all over the place. Test Zion, 16. What about hard to reach Peya? Peya Sholdolis. We learned earlier in the laws of vines that some people will take vines and drape them very high. What if you have to climb very high to harvest the vine, to harvest the clusters of grapes? The Shodekel, or you have a date palm. Ever try and climb a date palm? Don't. If you don't know what you're doing. The only way the poor people can get there is by really endangering their lives. That's really, you're killing me, Larry. So here the law dictates that the farmer should have his professionals bring it down. Because the farmer has guys that are bonded, insured, know what they're doing. And they should then distribute it amongst the poor. However, if they all want to just attack it on their own, let them go. Even 99% say, <coughs> we want to get it on our own. And one says, let the farmer send his people up and let's divide it. Here, his opinion has priority because this is the halacha. Here, because it's dangerous, the farmer should do it. Because now he's saying right. And the farmer is obligated to send his people up, harvest it, and bring it down. Now, what time in the day is Peah distributed? Three times during the day, the Peah should be distributed to the poor in the field. Or the poor should be permitted to take the Peah from the field. What are these three times? Bashachar in the morning. at noon. mincha and in the afternoon. Why? Because different people are free at different times. The poor have, a, have, they have to work, they have families, they're nursing, babies. What if a poor person comes in between these three times? He's got to wait his turn. It's off time. In order that there be a set time for the poor, that they all gather together to take. Why can't they make it once a day to make it easier for the farmer? <coughs> so he explains here, because there are nursing poor, 
who can't run to the field, they have to have breakfast. Of course, they have to nurse a baby. They're eating for two. Yes, Shamanim Ktanim, then there are children. Shane Nurim Babaker, where they're not awake in the morning. They're not going to get there till noontime. Yes, Shamskanim, then there are senior citizens. Shane Magim Adamincha, they can't get there till the afternoon. So therefore, we have these three set times. Yudches 18, Oni, a poor man, Shenotel Mixas Apeya. He took a little bit of his Peya, which he is his, he acquired. And in order to get the rest, he threw his produce on the rest, intending to acquire the rest. What's the problem? The problem is that's not one of the processes of acquiring in Jewish law. That's uh, one of the processes of throwing. Or he fell on it. Or he threw his garment on him. Not only does he not acquire that which he threw stuff at, or jumped on, or put his garment on, but they even take it away from him, even that which he took, legally, like they take it, they give it to another poor man. And the same thing applies to the other gifts, because there are processes of acquiring in Jewish law, and we touched upon some of them, and we're going to touch upon a lot of them as soon as we get into the laws of buying and selling and acquiring and so on. But basically, it is taking it, lifting it, moving it. That's acquiring. A kinyan. If somebody takes the payah, and he says, I'm taking this from my good buddy, the poor man. I got a good buddy, the poor man, and he needs payah too. Does this count? Good question. I'm glad you asked. So he says him, the guy who took is a poor man, no problem. He took for himself. It doesn't say how much a particular poor man could take. Because he acquires it for himself, if he wants to, he can acquire it for the other guy. But he himself is not a poor man. He's a wealthy man, then he can't acquire it, because wealthy people can't acquire payah. He has to give it to the first poor man he sees. He has no right to acquire for somebody else. He can only acquire for himself. The farmer who left payah for a group of poor people who are standing in front of him, he puts it down in the pile, he says, here guys, play nice. And a poor man came from the back. He was a football player. And he jumped in and he grabbed it. It's his. Because a person does not merit to acquire any type of these gifts to the poor or even something he finds in the street. Until he has it safely and securely in his possession. And the farmer told these guys, here, I'm leaving this for you, but it's not up to the farmer to designate who gets it. So the guy who got it, got it. End of chapter 2.